0: Welcome to CommuniCast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond. On today's episode, I'm talking with Marvin Espy, an award winning portrait and cityscape artist. Marvin discusses the importance of not making assumptions and striving for connectedness when it comes to being a great communicator. He also shares how to leverage your transferable skills when making a career change. I hope you enjoy. Marvin, thank you so much for joining me today from your studio and I am sure, balmy New London, Connecticut. To get things yes, started sir. today, maybe you just tell us a little bit about your background and really the career journey that brought you to where you are today.
1: Great. Thanks, Scott. And it's good to be here. Uh, yeah, my, my journey started when my high school art instructor was pushing to get me into a four-year degree at Miami University of Ohio where he sent all of his most talented art students. I was petrified of a four-year institution, especially uh, a small pseudo Ivy League like Miami of Ohio. And so uh, I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh and uh, got a degree in uh, design and visual communications. And I was so well prepared from high school that I really excelled in in a lot in design and figure drawing, and um, I felt like I had a lot of different directions I could go. Upon completing that degree in 1985, I freelanced for a couple years looking for that that perfect job. But freelancing was paying well. I was doing work for Sears and Roebuck at the, Roebuck at the time. Remember that, <laughs> and then um, J.C. Penney, and I was doing fashion illustration for their Sunday. Circular in the, in the Cincinnati Inquirer and the Cincinnati Post, and I thought, I'm on my way. But then um, a little thing called computer graphics and Macintosh came around, and all that work that was previously handmade, so to speak, went digital. And uh, that digitization of it all really set me back because um, I wasn't prepared to go back to school again, and I kind of had my mind that I'm, I'm on the path that I'm supposed to be on and all of a sudden, there was no wind in my sails. I met a little girl that I liked, that was cute and smart and, and ambitious. And I thought she's not going to want anything to do with me if I don't have a job. And so uh, this freelance thing wasn't looking real to her. And so I I got a job in sales. I think the one of the first was a phone sales. I was I was dialing numbers, trying to get people to buy photo packages. Uh, I think it was Olin Mills at the time. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was that guy that, yeah, I learned the coffee clothes. Uh, we'll talk about that one day. So I, I, that led to about a 27-year detour that took me through technology sales, uh, communication technology sales. I sold Cisco products and T1 integration, eventually landed uh higher education, selling online education for uh, adult learners. And along the way, I, I kept, I kept a sketchbook and I did little projects here and there, but art was way, way off to the side that toward the end of that 27 year period, uh, the last somewhere in the middle there, I did uh, marketing consulting with the idea was that I would blend the careers I've had of, of uh, sales and marketing on one end, but being on the design end of it also. So I did that until 2008 when uh, everything went to pot and uh, it wasn't the best time to be uh, on my own. And that's when I, I went into a, the education arena. And But then in 2013, fate would have it. I had the opportunity to pursue this passion of art. And my wife introduced me to a gallery owner who gave me an opportunity to have a one-man show. And as a matter of fact, uh, my wife showed her this sketchbook. And uh, this is a sketchbook that I kept. Most of these drawings were done on office copier paper
0: with ballpoint. Wow.
1: And uh, that's my uh, Robert De Niro and uh, my Robin Williams. And I was doing these sketches on conference calls when you got your headphone on and you're in your cubicle or you're at your desk. I doodle and it looks like you're taking notes and so uh and it was really the way I concentrate. Based on those sketches, gallery said uh listen if you can give me some art that I can hang paintings or something like that I'll give you a show. I mean you clearly got talent. So uh in about two and a half months I did 15 paintings, large paintings and she she gave me a one-man show. One of those paintings A couple months later, I entered in a citywide contest in Charlotte, North Carolina. There were uh, 60 artists who each presented three pieces of work for a judge. And out of 180 pieces, mine took best of show. And the first contest I'd entered since eighth grade and taking best of show gave me the affirmation that I got to find a way to separate from this corporate world. And do what I'm best at.
0: Outstanding. That is quite a career journey. And, and I will say a 27-year detour is pretty big detour. <laughs> and it, it sounds like the type of detour I take when I'm driving and on the family road trip and refusing to stop and ask for directions and won't listen to Google Maps. But no, yeah. I, I appreciate you, you sharing the journey that you went on and just how you kind of continue to refine those skills, develop the skills that you had, and then acquired new skills that you could later on use in this kind of next phase of your career. And you and I have known each other for quite some time. And we've talked a lot about, you know, you making that transition from corporate America to now the full-time art career, how you're able to really leverage a lot of the, the communication skills and the transferable skills that you picked up. On your corporate jobs and those sales jobs really help for success today, and I believe even helped you in that first competition that you entered. And with with this idea of communication skills, when you when you hear that, when you hear somebody, whether it's in the business world or in the art world, somebody is a strong communicator, they're an effective communicator. What what does that mean to you? What's that look like?
1: Yeah, and that's a great question. I think if you had asked me that, Scott, maybe five years ago or ten years ago. It'd be an easy answer. Uh, It'd be, oh, communication skills. Someone who can orate or can speak well and have a conversation that is a good listener, can listen and respond. And also someone who is a writer, right? Who can write a good email or who can write a good letter. Those typically on a resume, that's what you look for. But I think today, when you say communication skills, it's it's so much broader than that now. Just given given the, the times that we live in. I think if I try to put a word to it, when you say communication skills, the thing that comes to my mind is no assumptions. You can't make assumptions about anything anymore. And i tell tell you, you why I think that I, early in my sales career, I got sent to trainings all the time. And one that I got sent to often was Tom Hopkins. And uh, Tom Hopkins wrote a book called How to Master the Art of Sales. That book and that way of selling, it it was right for that generation, but it quickly faded away because in those days, the person who had the the sales wares, the goods, had all the information. Mm -hmm. They had the product knowledge about their product. They had product knowledge about their competition, and they educated the consumer on, look, here's what our competitors do. Here's what we do. And all the information came from that sales agent. And so Tom Hopkins and, and those kinds, of, I don't know if I can say his name, but all those kinds of sales programs in those days was about the salesperson leading the person down the path that they wanted them to follow. But today, you know, and we, we, we've been talking about the age of information for the last 20 years right. or more. And so we're way into the age of the information age. And I think it's brought about things that we would not have even imagined. We thought we well, just having, now people are gonna have access to information. Well, that changed the sales game because I can't come to you, Scott, the assumption that I have all the product knowledge and I can tell you, all, I can list for you, here are the benefits that you're gonna experience. And here's here's the cons, because you may have privy to information that I don't, I don't even know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether the information is true or not, I don't know. There's so much information that I don't, I may not even have enough information to work around any misinformation that you may have because you, you may have so much of it. So I think that today, having no assumptions, assuming that the person that I'm trying to communicate with has a whole battery of opportunity for information that. I don't know. I don't know what media outlets they look at. I don't know what social media. I don't know what podcasts they listen to. There's information everywhere at our fingertips all the time, and so I can't make assumptions about what I think they know or how best to communicate with them.
0: That is so important. And as you mentioned, the the balance of information really has shifted with the the advent of the the internet and just so much information out there so widely accessible to anyone that's looking for something so if we go into a sales meeting it's fair to think that you know they probably already know everything about what we do they're pretty far along in that buying journey they have the information they may just have some questions they want answered or to really see it in action so kind of going in and really focusing on not necessarily about me and what i want to tell you but listening asking questions, focusing on what's most important to that person so that I can share. Because if I go into a meeting with an assumption that, oh, I need to tell them all about my business, all about my products, all about our services, you know, I could waste 15 or 20 minutes and really put that person off because they're like, yeah, you know, I I know all that. I saw that on your website. One of my colleagues referred me to you. They told me all about it. I went through one of your programs or experienced your product 10 years ago. Here's what I want to talk about today. So that, I think that's great, this idea of going in with no assumptions, just because really the world has changed and yeah. the access to information is just so widely available. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> You're Funny and uh, connected to that, Scott, I'm, some, I'm often, my wife and I is inv- are invited out to functions and groups and organizations. And, and a lot of times it's a, an opportunity to be a part of this group or my wife has the uh, opportunity to speak or something like that. But when I arrive, more often than not now, I'm finding out that the people there know all about me. That the person who invited me may have collected data uh, like my, from my website or, or from articles or whatever and have forwarded it to the people. Hey, let's welcome Marvin Espy to this such and such event. Take a look at his bio. Look forward to meeting him. And so I get to an event, and I didn't realize this at first, but by the time I arrive, people have already—they already know my story. Mm-hmm. So the twenty-year, twenty-seven-year history thing that I'm always sharing, people already know it yeah. when I walk in the room. So it's—it's it's definitely you can waste a lot of time talking before you before you listen.
0: A- absolutely, and on a, a, a similar experience, as I thought about the difference between. My 10-year high school reunion to my 20-year high school reunion. You know, one of the the big developments in that time frame really was social media and Facebook. At the 10-year reunion, it was a lot of time spent catching up. Oh, what are you doing? You where are you working at? You should, let me see pictures of the kids, things like that. Versus at the 20-year reunion, we really already knew everything. We knew, I mean, almost every intimate detail of people's lives <laughs> yeah. there. Where they went on vacation, what their favorite food is, their kids. So this idea of Knowing what people you know already know about you, what's out there, what's available, is very important. So, and it helps to really then focus on what's what's most important to them. What's really key? What's critical to this conversation? So, as as reflected on that, that's really ties into this idea of assumptions. Where if I got to that event and was telling everybody about my job and my kids, like, yeah, I know that you post that stuff all the time. Yeah, um, and you can't
1: lie about it anymore, right? Because yeah. they they already had, you know, uh, there's no assumption. I can't show up and people aren't surprised that I'm bald. They see on Facebook. Oh yeah, Marvin's got no hair. The class reunion takes all the mystery out.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's great. So Marvin, as you think about, you've made this this transition from from corporate America to full-time art career. Talked a little bit about this idea of communication skills and how you leveraged some of those transferable skills from your corporate career. But if you think about in the, art world, you know, what are some of the, the communication skills that are that are important to really having a successful career? Right? Take you know talent, obviously you need to be a talented artist, but to really make a career out of it. Tell me a little bit about the communication skills that are most important today in the art world.
1: Yeah. You know, something that I'm not as surprised about, but it took me a little bit to catch on to is uh, the idea of connectedness. And that like in my in my case, If you read read about me on my website or somewhere, you see that I'm a portrait artist slash cityscape artist. I I like doing painting cities and bright lights and tall buildings, but I also like doing portraits. But if I'm having an exhibition of cityscapes and I'm painting the the town that I live in now and I've painted depictions all around New London, Connecticut, today, people are not just interested in the art or the content of the art. But if someone sees, geez, Marvin wants $7,000 for this painting. Marvin wants $4,000 for this painting of this city or this street that I live on. What's he doing for our community? What's he doing for this city? What's he doing for this neighborhood? And it, that's that's a big difference now, I, I think. I can't paint, Some I think artists do it, but it, I think it's a mistake to paint in today's climate and the the way that we act most of us the way that we make our work known and the way that we sell work in part is by having um visibility uh on the internet whether a website or instagram or facebook or something like that so we're putting this work content out in the world and people are looking oh marvin paints cities I think more and more, I've got to be able to speak to my relationship between why I love to paint cities and why I care about cities and how that translates into my life. The same as if someone painted forest or woods or nature scenes, I think it's becoming more and more critical to say, yeah, I painted this scene and I'm doing it on biodegradable, I'm using biodegradable paints, or I'm using paints that don't contaminate the the water, or I I dispose of it, I dispose of my chemicals responsibly. And and I mention it, Scott, because I think it's important that if I'm standing in the gallery at my opening exhibition, and I'm talking, people are asking me about my work, and that's a real important thing, that a lot of artists tend to open an exhibition, and then hide in the corner, or don't engage with with the public that are coming to see you, but people want to talk to you. But in in that engagement, it means a lot to people when you can say, not just what the work means to you or what it meant for you to do it, but how you are connected to that larger community. And it's not political, I don't think it's, I mean, it can be political, I guess, but I think today people are so, so much more socially conscious mm-hmm. because of the, the amount of information and context that we get that it's important to, to at least have an awareness of it because it's, if it hadn't come up yet, it's going to, it's going to come up more and more right. questions about where you stand on these things.
0: No, I, I a really interesting point around this idea of, of connectedness. So as you mentioned with, cityscapes if you're doing a a lot of work in in new london or cityscapes of new london or i know when you were in charlotte you did a lot uh, of charlotte and were widely recognized for some of the the paintings that you did of the cityscapes and made number of accolades Mm -hmm. and on the cover of magazines in this area but you know as, as i think about any of the types of products or services that a lot of people buy or interact with or use on a regular basis i think that's becoming more and more important that's this idea do you do you talk the talk and walk the walk yeah yes it's great to paint city skates but here's why you know charlotte or new london is important to me here's how i'm involved here's how i'm giving back or as you mentioned the idea if if you're doing a lot of nature scapes you know are you are you focusing on the environment in your in your life and people are looking to businesses now where they're wanting to see that And, you know, Mm -hmm. the parallel from my side is that, you know, working for a communication skills training organization, if I'm going in and pitching a presentation skills class and I'm a terrible presenter, you know, that's not something that I'm passionate about that I'm really focused on, or I'm really not engaged in helping others develop those skills or developing them myself might be a red flag for, for people that are looking to do business with us or in your scenario, if you have. You know, two talented artists. They're both doing cityscapes and they you know, both have great works of art that I enjoy. I'm more apt probably to work with or purchase from the person that has that story that's really connected to the work that they're doing. I think that can make a huge difference, not just for artists, but for mm-hmm. anyone out there listening in your line of work is how are you really connected to your product or your service or what you're doing? And, and can you tell that story to your clients mm-hmm. and prospects? That's a key part. One of the things that that you and I talked about last time we had connected was that first art show that you were entered into and and you won and you alluded to it a little bit ago. But as I think about what we've talked about with your career and what has helped you to make this successful transition, it's this idea of just talking to people and not necessarily hiding and hiding behind yeah. the work, but really getting out there in front of it. Maybe if you could just talk a little bit about that experience at that first art show. I think maybe as an example of One of the skills that has really helped you in your career.
1: Thanks, Scott. Yeah, and I would not have ever chosen to take a 27-year sales and marketing detour away from what I'm best at. And I found in business world, Marvin had to run at his best time all the time just to keep up with the pack because it it wasn't what came most natural to me. I competed in athletics, but I was never, I was never a tiger. I was never a killer. And, but when, when your job is on the line or when you, when you have a quota or when you have uh, accountability for uh, that's numbers driven and performance driven, you have to learn that if I don't engage one more, one more address, one more phone call one more email, one more event, I might not hit the number I need to hit. It changes your perspective. And it took a while for me, but over the years that I spent, I developed a little bit more of a a tiger mentality, and not not in a consumption malicious way, but that I can't continue to do paintings if my paintings don't earn, if they don't pay for the lights in my studio. Recently, looked at my expenses, and since I moved to this area, I've had to add some different things, and I've got a different studio. I'm in a different market, and I got I got to pay for Wi-Fi now. And I added up all. It's like, wow, just to hit my overhead, I've got to be I've got to be running, just to hit my overhead before I begin to make money. And mm-hmm. so, something that I transferred from the business world into the art world is that I'm not ashamed to make money on my sale. I'm not ashamed to to ask someone to make this purchase. I'm not ashamed to say to someone, I appreciate your offer, but uh, this piece sells at X dollars per square inch. And at that rate, this is how much it costs. And I do a disservice to people who've invested in me in the past. If I discount work for you, Now the work I sold my friend down the road isn't as valuable anymore because I'm discounting. And so I've learned that an artist who doesn't sell has a limited capacity to do work. Unless you're independently wealthy or you have someone who subsidizes your life in other ways, if I continue to make money on my work and my work continues to grow in value and I can continue to sell more and more of it, then I can do bigger projects. I can experiment with more. I, I can be more creative. I can give back more. I do art classes now and I have enough people that sign up for my art classes that I can tap a couple shoulders and say, hey, you're really talented and I know you couldn't, couldn't register. I want you to, I wanna let you audit this class. Don't worry about the, you know, don't worry mm-hmm. about the, the fee. Or uh, I like being able to grab somebody from the neighborhood. Or I'm almost to the point now where I can go to a community organization and say, "Hey, give me five kids and let, let me let me work with them." So you can't do that if you're if you're afraid of making a sale, and you don't do that unless you engage. And w- what I've lo- what I've learned though is that um people they don't want your sales pitch. They don't want they, they don't want a lot of fluff, but when someone co- someone comes to an art exhibition, you got a couple different kinds of people that come, right? You got people who know you and love you, and they just want to they just want to see you do well. They come out, they smile, they they tell you nice things. Then they don't even buy art, or they they get something from Target, and they're good. And you got other people that really have a passion for art. They may or may not be in a position or interested in buying, but they love to come out and see, and they want to engage with you. They and so what I do is I stand there, I make myself available, I make myself present. I let people observe for a little while, and then I tell them, "Hey, so tell tell me a little bit. Uh, what are you thinking when you see this work? What's What's it mean for you to see this piece? Is it saying something to you?" And I normally I'm reflecting in advance the questions that they ask me. Marvin, what were you thinking when you did this? Or what does this mean? And when you give it to them first, I think people people tap into their, their own artist and people wanna feel smart and people are smart. People wanna feel like they have something to say and they normally do. And it takes the assumptions off my plate when I ask them first, because um, you can't size people up by what they look like or how, how they come to an event or how they're dressed or, or their race or age or, or anything. Because uh, when you ask the question, you get these amazing replies. Well, you know, and they people tell you what this art means, and sometimes they speak to my art better than I can. It's like I wish I had said it that way. And so I think you you got you have to engage because I think people buy the story, people buy, they buy what they feel from the experience they have with you.
0: Definitely, and you, you bring up a, a really strong point there and there, there's a lot of great similarities just from, from the business world and a leadership perspective, this idea of you just asking their input first. Similar to as a leader, if I'm looking for an opinion on something, and as the, the leader of the team or the organization, I kick it off and say, well, here's what I think about it, A, B, C, D, and E. In a lot of environments, you're not going to get a whole lot of dissension from that. Everyone's, oh, okay, yep." the, the leader thinks this. We're going to go along and say, yep, that's great. We agree. Versus if you open it up and say, you know, what, what do you all think? I want to hear your feedback about it. And then I'll share my thoughts. You're going to get their honest interpretations from that. And, and I would think you not for myself, not being an, an art connoisseur, knowing much about that world. If I were at a gallery or at an art show and the artist tells me about the painting and what it means and the the interpretation of it, I'm not going to feel comfortable to disagree with the artist, the person that created it. So I think asking them, you're going to get a lot of valuable insights. You're going to build a connection, build a relationship with them, and then then have your opportunity to tell the story. And as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are buying, in addition to the tangible product, they're buying the story that goes along with it. And they're buying the person you know, that created it, kind of part of them. So I think that's a that's a great way to approach it with one, don't be afraid to sell. I know there's oftentimes negative connotations with sales and being a salesperson. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a great book out there by Daniel Pink, To Sell is Human. It really means everybody, every day is selling. You're selling something, whether you're just influencing a decision at your organization, you're selling the idea that, I have a 12-year-old and a nine-year-old. I'm selling them on wearing a coat. It's 20 degrees out. You need to wear a coat today. For some reason, coats are just taboo at school. I don't know why kids don't want to wear you're them. you not cool. Yeah, exactly. It's not cool to wear a jacket anymore, but all day, every day, you're selling, you're influencing. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. If you're coming from it, you're being honest and authentic, and you're providing that value. So this idea of you can't be afraid to get out there, whatever line of work you're in, and to quote, sell, and most importantly, allow people to share their perspectives. Put it to them first. Check those assumptions, and, and then be able to tell your story based on what you heard. That's outstanding, now, Marvin. As you think about you know your career, you know throughout the years, who has been somebody that has really influenced your communication style? And you don't necessarily need to name names, but you really what who's someone out there that you've taken something from and tried to incorporate it? Incorporate it and make it your own.
1: A name that kept coming to my mind was Malcolm Gladwell. Probably 20 something years ago he wrote uh Tipping Point was the first of his books that I read. I think and um
0: do I have it? Yeah, I know it I have it I have outliers up on my shelf. I, I know I have Tipping Point somewhere.
1: Yeah, did you tell I don't remember. You might I don't know if it was that long ago. I heard <laughs> it somewhere else. There's Tipping Tipping Point and Blink and David and Goliath, and he has such a unique perspective to he, he definitely has either a story or a point that he's trying to take you to but he approaches it from what seems like an obscure perspective and then a, a really broad off the map kind of starting point and before you know it you've landed right in the lap where he wants you and you're like oh how did we get yeah, that's so cool. I like that. And in my family growing up, storytellers were revered. At Thanksgiving, eggnog's going to come out of your nose or there's going to- be a great visual, thanks. And we hear, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times it was the same stories year after year, but man, you took pride in those, in hearing those stories. And then as a kid on the school bus, the coolest kids were in the back of the bus Telling stories, making people laugh, dating myself. But uh, Slick Rick and those guys—they—they, they, when rap was young and new, it, it was this storytelling. Uh, even the one of uh, them "Tell Me a Story." I I love I love the storytellers that I've been around. But a flaw for me was when I first got into sales. I'm probably doing it now. I go too long. Mm-hmm. I tell these long stories and take go way off topic. And I would lose people before I came back around. And if you don't, if you take them too far, too slow and too jumpy, then uh, you don't, you don't have a chance to bring them back. So I've I've had to learn as I can't help but tell them stories. The way to make that work is to tell stories everywhere you go. If I buy coffee you're gonna get a two minute story from me. If, if, you, if you catch me in the elevator, and I know they talk about the elevator pitch mm-hmm. or whatever, but you're gonna get some kind of story, even if it's a brief thing about the weather or catch you on the flip side, You got to, you gotta get some kind of story because what happens is you get better and better and better, you get faster and faster, you get better at pacing the story to fit the environment, to fit the situation. I've talked my way out of some sales, uh, both in my sales career and in my art career, because you you run past the finish line, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I think I've always appreciated good storytellers. That was my short way of saying, (laughs) I like.
0: (laughs) The stories are so, so important. And one of the, the key things that you mentioned is that you need to practice, you know, some people are just natural storytellers and I and I understand that, but the reason that it seems natural today is that they've been telling stories all day, every day, whenever, yeah. as you mentioned, whenever they meet somebody, there's a story. And for me, you know, we get we get requests around that a lot for for storytelling. And it can mean storytelling can mean a number of things to a number of people, but where the magic really happens is when you can take you kind know, of two seemingly disconnected things and at the end yeah. of your story bring them together. Recently, I put out a video around, uh, it was tied to a blog post we did around four elements or four ingredients for a presentation and talking about my kids making cookies. And this idea they're baking cookies, they're excited, I taste it, the cookie's just terrible. And you know, they forgot one of the ingredients. I think they forgot to put in the sugar into the cookies, which is a big okay. deal. But bringing that that's back right. to, if you have these four elements of a presentation, you leave one of them out, it's gonna have a huge impact on it. So that's one of the things with storytelling is trying to figure out how can I relate somewhat seemingly unrelated things and bring them together, that's when it's going to click for people. We can take, like Malcolm Gladwell does, this abstract, obscure concept and really bring it into reality. And I think with storytelling, especially in, in the art world being important to build those relationships, one of the things that you know I, I really appreciate when I see your work is that the work itself tells a story. Every line on the paper, every stroke on the canvas, whether it's a wrinkle in someone's face from one of those drawings or the blurred taillights of a car going down East Boulevard. You my can man. really tell, tell the story as to what's going on in that community, which is is really powerful.
1: Well, Scott, it means a lot to me that you spoke so detailed uh, in that because I can envision what you were talking about. And you say you don't know art.
0: No, <laughs> my man. I, that made me feel really good. Well, Good. Good. I'm glad like I said I'm such a big fan of your work. It is. It's amazing. I'm just always blown away whenever I see something new come out from you. So Marvin, as we're, as we're wrapping up, just, you know, any closing thoughts or piece of advice for somebody that is one, maybe an aspiring artist or somebody that's in that career detour, right? They, they, they started off going one direction. They've had to pivot for whatever reason that may be. What advice do you, do you have for, for any of those folks out there?
1: You know, there's a lot of ways to answer that, but the thing that came to my mind is the idea of bloom where you're planted. And I did not, I, I resented at first the idea that this technology thing is, is putting a damper on this art career that I have. And I, I remember saying, this isn't gonna last. Mm-hmm. this. Technology isn't, you're not going to be able to replace what I do with technology. It's not going to last. It's just, it's going to come and go. Well, not, not the case. But when I decided to embrace where I was, I couldn't see any, I, th- I didn't know of any other path outside of, in those days, there were some sales jobs. If you could fog a mirror with your breath, that's all the qualifications you need to, we'll will give you a go. But if you bloom where you're planted, you're going to acquire all the skills in that soil. Whatever richness is in the soil where you're planted, absorb it all, grab it, bring it up through your roots, bring it out your stalk, and then bloom. But once you bloom, you can send your pollination out into the wind and let it land in the next spot for me it's 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 been a great journey i i wouldn't have planned it this way but i don't think i could have achieved the small successes i've had so far i'm expecting to do a lot more but i don't i don't think i could have achieved what i've done already if i had not had what seemed like a detour at the time which was really the journey i was supposed to be on you got to decide where i'm at today even if if i'm making pizza i need to be able to run the pizza shop then get out of there Mm -hmm. because the same skills required to run a pizza shop are the same skills required to run a business you you got to make a good product you got to make people feel good about buying it you got to deliver on on time you got to have systems in place you got to have reliability you got to deliver and you got to have a methodology and so if you can take those skills and plug it into the next thing that's a little more sophisticated. And then the next thing, I mean, you're gonna be able to do whatever you set your mind to. But you gotta bloom where you're at.
0: Bloom where you're planted. I've never heard that before. I, I love that expression. And it might I, I didn't make like, that up. <laughs> the
1: pollination part might be me,
0: there but I didn't know.
1: make up the bloom. <laughs> yeah.
0: That is great. Because you, you think about how did you when you made that quote detour, you know, into you know sales, business development, whatever you were doing, you could have just very easily just Grudgingly went to work every day, put your head down, fogged the mirror, so to speak, and that would have been it. You probably never would have made this transition, but because you really did focus on soaking up all the nutrients of the soil where you were at each stop along the way, you developed all these skills that you're able to now take into this successful art career that you have going on today. So Marvin, thank you so much again for joining me today. I really do appreciate it and hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Scott, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: A special thank you again to my guest, Marvin Espy, for sharing his expertise with us, and especially for this gem of bloom where you are planted. I absolutely love this, it is so important. If you're in a job that you may not like, you think is short term, whatever the situation may be, take advantage of all of the resources, the learning opportunities, and the experiences afforded to you you will be able to use those skills and those learnings at some point in your career, whether it is six months from now, or in Marvin's case, where he took a 27-year career detour, he was able to leverage all of those learnings throughout that time to help get him to where he is with his successful art career. Thank you again for listening. Be sure to subscribe to CommuniCast to be notified of new episodes, and also to learn more about Marvin's art you can check him out on Instagram at Art by SB. That's Art by SB, E-S-P-Y. Thanks and have a great day.